Hello listeners, a friendly reminder that the companies and topics discussed on this podcast are general advice only. Please consult an advisor or accountant for any personal advice. Hello, hello, what is up? Thank you so much for tuning into the Market Pulse podcast. Hope you're all having a cracker week. You are listening to episode 62 of the podcast and we've got a few things to chat about. We're going to talk about some results from a couple US companies, specifically Airbnb and Disney. And we're also going to probably not venture into too many different things from the Australian side of things. We're actually going to take a little bit of a look at the kind of indicators and things you want to look at when you are analyzing bank stocks because a few of the banks have reported their results recently and there's a few different sort of headline numbers and things floating around that are important to pick out. Uh, you know, when you're considering maybe investing in bank stocks and, you know, just analyzing the overall health uh, of those particular companies. So we're going to take a look at that towards the end of the show. But first, as always, we're going to take a look about what the actual market did last week. So I'm recording this on Monday, the 16th of August, just for clarification. So last week, the ASX 200 had a pretty good week, actually. It was up 1.2%. So yeah, a very good week, really. The S&P 500 was also up. It was up 0.71%. The one that was a bit of a lagger for US markets was the NASDAQ index, the NASDAQ Composite Index. That was more or less flat, but we'll say it was down. It was down 0.09% for the week. So yeah, as you can see there, whilst the NASDAQ was more or less flat for the week or slightly down, the broader S&P 500 index, uh, which I guess gives you a better representation of all the, the various industries and companies in the US, it did have a much better showing. And there's a couple of notable reasons or maybe notable companies uh, that helped sort of drive that result last week for their broader S&P 500 index. Uh, the listed homestay giant Airbnb came out with their earnings for the quarter that just ended. Yeah, we've touched on a few uh, different US companies as of late that are reporting their quarterly earnings. This is a big thing, by the way, in the US. It's, you know, in Australia at the moment, we're going through uh, our reporting season for Australian companies, but they're reporting their full financial year results for the last 12 months. It's a little bit different. Not that um, information isn't transparent or anything on the US markets, but their whole thing is operating on a quarter by quarter basis where they report their quarterly earnings. So at the moment, that's happening in the US, and Airbnb came out. Uh, with their earnings for the quarter, they were actually a little bit more positive than widely expected by industry analysts and uh, commentators. Airbnb, of course, a company that has had pretty significant headwinds given COVID's uh, travel disruptions, you know, both in domestic and international markets, because sometimes you think about it just from people wanting to go on a holiday, uh, but sometimes we use Airbnb purely to just go an hour away from our house, you know, and stay up in the mountains or on the coast or something like that. So its impacts are pretty broad. Now, the stock did fall on the day that it did release its earnings. Uh, but that's at least the commentary that I'm listening to is more related to the current Delta variant surge that's thrown up, you know, some question marks for what the next few months will look like. And when they actually did report their earnings, they more or less said uh, Delta is basically going to uh, be a bit volatile for them as a business in terms of the ups and downs of revenue because, you know, who knows how various states in the US and then various markets outside of the US, say in countries like Australia here, 
how we're going to take uh, the surge in new cases. You know, we've seen the impact of what it's doing across our states here. New South Wales, obviously, uh, the big one, and then uh, Victoria as well. So one of the reporting metrics that Airbnb released in their earnings results is the amount of nights and experiences booked for the quarter through Airbnb. Because you know, so you obviously can book accommodation per night, um, but you can also book experiences. You, you, if you've used Airbnb, you'd know exactly what I'm talking about. If you book, say, um, let's just take a city, like say if you booked in New York, uh, then there might be also nearby experiences to where you booked that you can also pay for through the Airbnb app. Now the company Airbnb, they reported 83.1 million nights and experiences booked for the quarter. And that is up 29% from the first quarter of this year. So that's up 29% from the previous quarter. So that's pretty significant. And then this is the kind of jumping from a low base uh, kind of statistics. And we're gonna talk about um, some of that in relation to the bank stocks later, but uh, this result of 83.1 million nights and experiences is up 197% year over year. So compared to a year ago, and that's pretty much because a year ago is when you know things like travel, vacations, flights, all that stuff, you know, pretty much ground to a halt across the world. So more on that kind of year-on-year comparison, revenue for Airbnb, $1.34 billion. That is an increase of 300% compared to the quarter a year prior. And I just pulled this last one here from CNBC when they reported on Airbnb's earnings results. They said Airbnb's net loss narrowed, so net loss not a net gain, not a net profit, but net loss narrowed to $68 million for the quarter. Uh, that, is a, that is down 88% where they reported a net loss of $575.6 million a year prior. So this time last year, they were reporting a near or just quite over half a billion dollar loss for the quarter. Uh, they've managed to narrow that down now to $68 million. So still... This is still a company that's not operating at a profit there for the quarter, but um, a massive difference compared to where they were this time last year. Probably one final note just to consider if you are someone invested in Airbnb, you know, the, these results, whilst they show a positive bounce back, uh, they, you probably would have a little bit of caution because, you know, we've just, well, we're coming to the end of the summer period for the Northern Hemisphere, so uh, you know, big markets like the United States and the European continent. Uh, so you can almost guarantee that those results and those bounce back in results for Airbnb is certainly uh, propelled by the fact that they've been in summer. And now that they're gonna get into a colder months, also that COVID or the, the current variant, the Delta variant has picked up, um, not just obviously here in Australia, but across the world. That is certainly, well, maybe not certainly, but we'll say likely going to hamper uh, the results in the coming next two quarters. As an idea of how COVID has been trending in the United States in the last couple of months with the surge in the Delta variant, their daily new cases are basic. So they, they've gone down very low uh, in June, and now they've picked back up to kind of like where the kind of case numbers they were reporting in uh, late January, February, uh, at the start of the year. So I think that's just sort of worth keeping in mind, uh, especially if you're invested, maybe even just broadly, you know, travel a company with overseas exposure like Airbnb. 
Uh, but that was Airbnb. Let's jump across to Disney. I wanted to give an update. Well, I, had, I haven't spoken about Disney in quite a while. Um, again, I'll, just for disclosure, I don't own shares in Airbnb or Disney. This is not like a pump and dump for these stocks or anything like that. But Disney was one I talked about last year just because its exposure to the damage or the economic damage from COVID was just, you know, it's almost like watching, you know, a, a boxer just get hit, you know, in the liver and the kidney and then in the head and then the chest in that they were just exposed on so many different fronts. You know, this is a company that's uh, got a lot of revenue in just their physical theme parks and experience. Of course, many of those closed for periods of time last year. Uh, they are exposed to the travel industry, obviously through those theme parks as well, but also through things like cruise ships. We all know what happened to them last year. And then their digital entertainment, so their, you know, the the actual box office movies, of course, movies suffered huge declines in audiences and were more or less also across many areas closed as well. And so it was actually... It was actually almost exactly this time last year that I spoke to the quarterly earning results of Disney. Uh, so going back to 2020. So now 12 months has passed and, you know, they've come quite a long way and, and had a bounce back because of some of the things we just spoke about regarding Airbnb. You know, that the, the US has entered uh, and, the, and Europe has entered back into summer, you know, people more likely to get out there especially once they've been vaccinated and the, the weather's a bit nicer. And, um, and, and you know, ex- go on experiences, go on vacations, go, on, go to theme parks. Uh, so this time last year, what I was saying is the, so the division in Disney that's just their theme parks and experiences, uh, they had suffered an 85% decline in revenue completely. And that was just in that quarter, right? So the quarter that end this, so this time last year, but for the quarter, and in total, they took a $3.5 billion hit to operating income purely off just their parks being closed. So not even going into things like the fact that they've had to push out the release of movies and all this stuff where they normally bring in box office revenue, purely just based on theme parks for that quarter, a year ago, $3.5 billion hit to operating income. And so fast forward 12 months to today, uh, they've managed to actually, I guess, turn around the story of their company through through a few different avenues, actually. Um, one of them being the digital, so their Disney Plus product, which has, according to CNBC here, actually beaten estimates also specifically just for the amount of subscribers. And we'll get into that one in just a second. But the section of Disney that we just mentioned before that experienced such a big hit last year, so their parks, what they call parks, experiences and products, uh, CNBC reporting that, and in their earnings, Disney's earnings, this part of their business returned to profitability for the first time since the pandemic began. Although they note that parks alone, so just their uh, theme parks alone, are not yet profitable, but the entire segment of this part of Disney, uh, their revenue jumped 308% uh, to $4.3 billion because all their parks are reopened now. And so when I said that, uh, parks alone and have not re- yet re- returned to full profitability, but the segment of, as part of their business has. The reason that is because the products part of Disney's, uh, which is, you know, things basically things like merchandise, that is what's helped carry uh, the overall profitability of this part of the business. And, it's, and it is a massive 
massive part of the business. You know, the theme park industry to Disney is quoted here as being, so this is prior to the pandemic started, so say in 2019, making up pretty much about a third of the company's total revenue. So it's a very significant part uh, for Disney. Now, going back to the other point I made before about their foray into the streaming business, uh, the Disney Plus part of their business, that came in at a total of 116 million subscribers. So that's not them adding that many in a quarter. That's just what their total subscribers are now for the Disney Plus platform. And if you're wondering sort of how that compares to something like a Netflix, uh, Netflix is um, a little under double that. So Netflix is sitting at about 200 and I think 208, 207 or 8 million as of the last update uh, that we had from Netflix. So it's still got a little way to go, but the, the point here with Disney is that it's been a decent jump because the quarter before they reported close to 103, 103 and a half million uh, for the previous quarter and they've jumped now to 116. So a good sign there that their streaming services continue to go to strength uh, because this is a company that owns a lot of media platforms like they own you know, things like Lucasfilm and ESPN uh, and Hulu. Sometimes they also report their total subscriptions. So not just Disney Plus, but uh, ESPN Plus, which is a streaming service platform for ESPN and Hulu. So in total, across all their subscription services, they have 174 million subscriptions. In terms of where these companies are sitting, so both Airbnb and Disney, uh, respectfully on the stock exchange, you know, very different companies in terms of their tenure. Airbnb is very, very new to the stock market, doesn't have much of a history. It was, yeah, it was December 2020, so uh, last year only, when Airbnb actually went public and listed uh, through IPO onto the onto the NASDAQ. Disney, a company that's been around for a lot longer than that and listed for many, many decades. Uh, but, but you can see very different sort of sentiment around uh, where the share price is. So, you know, prior to uh, the pandemic even starting, you know, the, the Disney share price was sitting around the 145 US dollars per share mark. Uh, it dropped quite significantly uh, going into the, the crash uh, of March. It fell down to, well, I think the lowest it closed at was $85, 85 US dollars per share. Um, it got back up to about $100 in April. Um, and it slowly sort of started to climb up, especially as, the, as I guess, vaccinations came on board uh, later in the year, especially towards October, November, it jumped again. And now Disney's trading at 179 US dollars per share. So it's actually trading higher than where it was prior to the pandemic. So the other one, Airbnb, uh, it's, it was, it was actually, it's actually lower now than where it was prior to the pandemic. So it jumped pretty significantly on its IPO. Uh, in February 2021, it got up to close to 212 US dollars per share. Uh, when the pandemic started to kick in, it fell as low as uh, down to around 134 US dollars a share. It is now 148 US dollars a share. So it was never quite reached back up to the heights that it was before. And it spent, you know, the, at least the last few months relatively flat, um, especially across. May, June, July, August, um, sort of hovering around that 140 to 150 US dollar share range. Remember, these are two different companies in that 
provided, yes, both they had huge impacts from COVID in terms of uh, the, the impacts to their business, you know, whereas other U- huge US listed companies uh, benefited from the pandemic, you know, a la Amazon, things like that. But Disney has a quite a proven track record and, you know, quite, you know, quite a long track record on the stock market. Airbnb, very new to the stock market, still currently not operating at profitability. So you can understand why there's a bit more wariness in the share price there and why you haven't seen a recovery, you know, bounce back up. Also, it's not very diversified, right? You know, Disney has been able to show that it's able to be successful in other revenue streams, you know, say Disney Plus, for example. Airbnb, you know, yes, they've opened up other revenue streams like their experiences apart from just booking accommodation nights, uh, but it's relatively focused in on one thing. And that one thing is you know, severely affected when there's lockdowns and restrictions on movement. It doesn't seem to me like there's going to be a huge notable increase or recovery up to the kind of prices uh, like the $200 mark that Airbnb was trading at uh, until until there is a bit more stability in the actual bookings coming through from the platform at Airbnb. And that won't happen whilst there's still changes in COVID variants and, and various lockdowns around the world uh, taking place at the moment. All right, that is enough about uh, some of those big US companies in Disney and Airbnb. Now we're going to jump back home and look at our domestic market. Uh, there's probably not a little bit too much to talk about in terms of macro this week. We're going to focus on some company stuff. Uh, mainly, we're going to look at a couple indicators to watch out for when you're evaluating the results from the banks uh, this reporting season and particularly some specific indicators that just show the health of the bank uh, and whether they are a good option for you to invest in. Okay, so like I said, not really anything here from the macro point of view this week. The only thing I sort of picked out was the fact that consumer uh, confidence levels have dropped, uh, which is kind of like an obvious moment given the lockdowns being experienced across the country, uh, the the most uh, heavy ones there in New South Wales and Victoria. The latest uh, report that I saw was from Westpac. So you can just jump on Westpac's website if you ever want to look at this stuff. It's in their economics section. They release these reports monthly on consumer sentiment. So it's called the Westpac Melbourne Institute Index of Consumer Sentiment. Uh, It has fallen down to be uh, where it was about a year ago. Uh, but that is just for relative terms, nowhere near as low as it was in the depths of the pandemic and, and things like the Melbourne lockdown last year. So it's not like that at all. Perhaps that's an indication that uh, Australians are a little bit more confident this time around, uh, given the rollout of vaccines, you know, compared to where we were a year ago, where it was more, more or less non-existent, uh, given that that's rolling out more fluidly now. And the hope that I guess we can bounce back from this relatively quickly. There's not a huge amount of news that really sort of grabbed me over the last week or so. Uh, We are, of course, into reporting season. You know, last year, this time last year, I I spent a lot of time on some of those uh, retail stocks. uh, The ones that just really, you know, blew the lights out in terms of their financial results. You know, and some that quite surprised us because there was definitely some that I thought you know, we're really going to suffer last year that didn't. So like I, I, for example, I really thought that a company like JB Hi-Fi was going to suffer quite significantly. 
uh, given its you know big huge physical space retail stores but that wasn't the case you know i really favored the online uh, st- uh, companies like a kogan and like a temple and webster which did actually do well of course um and i thought that that would also then mean that a company like a jp hi-fi or, or the ones the other ones that have done really well like nick scarley's and, and harvey norman uh, but that wasn't the case at all so it was, it was quite surprising and i think that's because you know I can't. I, I feel really bad because I, I want to give the credit where it's due, but I think that's because this is such a different. You know, last year when we entered a technical recession, you know, potentially that's uh, depending on how this Delta variant goes. Those kind of things might be on the cards again, but I think it's because it's so different to, you know, the quote-unquote recessions and economic downturns of the past, where uh, this. These are much more engineered in the sense that, yes, we go into lockdown and there's a slowdown and causing a technical recession, but there was still clearly demand, you know, for things uh, last year that kept uh, some of those businesses uh, really healthy and, if anything, doing better than they've ever done. But going on to a company that didn't do so well, uh, given its exposure to international markets and just the fact that. Uh, tourism and travel shut down completely. A2 Milk has been in the news in the last few days. Uh, there's, as at least of the recording of this podcast, there's not much to say about this except that there's rumors. But the A2 Milk share price actually jumped uh, today. So I'm recording this on Monday again, the 16th of August. And that's because of rumors rocketing around uh, that Nestle, the huge giant out of Switzerland, is mulling, uh, mulling basically to lob a takeover offer at A2 Milk and snap them up. And it probably would be a good time if they were thinking about doing that. Uh, now's the better time than ever because the A2 Milk share price is currently trading around $6.50 compared to, say, where it was a year ago, which is closer to $20. So I'm sure there's a couple shareholders that might be wanting to be put out of their misery. But uh, at the moment, it's just pure speculation and rumor. But have a have a watch on A2 Milk and see how that goes. Potentially, if they're because sh- you know when their share price rockets over, you know when it goes up and down um, over rumors that might be reported in in the media or in the press, but the company itself doesn't say anything. Sometimes uh, the ASX actually halts their trading and and asks the actual company to explain themselves. So they might be like, you know, is there something you need to tell everyone because you're a publicly listed company and you're expected to do so. Uh, so maybe that will happen too uh, over the coming days. Okay, like I said in the segue, we're going to take a look at some indicators that are worth keeping your eye on uh, during reporting season, uh, especially relevant to banks. And because there's been some big reporting coming out, so the banks are a little bit different in that. So at the moment, uh, so for example, CBA and Suncorp have recently reported their full financial year results. Uh, Westpac and NAB have come out with their results, but their quarter, quarterly results, they're on a different timetable of when they actually, they, later this year is when they'll report their full financial year results. Uh, but at the moment, these are just quarterly updates from both NAB and Westpac. So when you're seeing a fair bit in the news about the bank stocks and you're maybe thinking about investing in them or maybe you're already investing in them, uh, these are some of the indicators I think are worth looking at Um uh, and, and considering these are these are very you know long-term holdings kind of thing, so it's not worth um, maybe always just judging them on a quarter-to-quarter basis, um, but these are important indicators 
to look out for. And I'll, I'll flag this this segment at the top and say, full disclosure, I do own shares in CBA. Uh, this is not a recommendation and this won't be a recommendation of any specific bank shares. This will just be purely a look at what indicators are important when you're doing your analysis. Okay, the first one to consider is what's called the price to book ratio. And this is like a valuation figure that gives you an idea of the company's current value relative to its book value. And what I mean by that is if you took all the assets on the company's balance sheet, so its book, all of its assets minus the liabilities, what's left over, so its price relative to, it, I guess, its net assets, so uh, the assets minus the liabilities. Now, this isn't a good metric for all kind of companies. It's specifically helpful when you're looking at banks. And, you know, one of the reasons for that might be the fact that, you know, considering the kind of assets that banks are dealing with being property-based assets, you know, these are things that are quite up to date in their valuation. So it can give a pretty good idea of what a bank's uh, price to book ratio is. Now, I've pulled this data from Goldman Sachs, which calculates, make it easier for me without having to make me calculate it myself, uh, but the price to book value of a few of the banks here. So we're going to look at Suncorp, we're going to look at Westpac, NAB, and CBA for all of these measures. So let's first start with Suncorp. So the price to book value for Suncorp is currently at 1.2 times. So what that means then for Suncorp is its value, so its market cap as a, as a company on the stock exchange, is currently trading 1.2 times the actual book value per share. So if it just liquidated every single asset it owned today, and had, of course that includes paying off all its liabilities, its valuation today is currently 1.2 times that book, so slightly above. So the reason this is sometimes used as, well, often used as a way of evaluating, say, a bank is because a low book to, sorry, a low value to book ratio can indicate potentially a company, or in this case, we're talking about banks, uh, one that's undervalued. Now, it shouldn't definitely be taken in isolation because as you're about to see, it doesn't always mean that it's always the best metric, but it's at least a good indicator on what the actual company's value is at the moment relative to its net assets. So that was Suncorp, it's at 1.2 times at the moment. Jumping over to NAB, which did give a recent quarterly update, NAB's price to book value is currently at about 1.5 times. So a little bit higher than, than uh, Suncorp. Westpac currently at about 1.4 times. So pretty similar to NAB. And this is the big jump, CBA 2.4 times book value. So a significant difference there uh, in terms of say two other big banks being Westpac and NAB to CBA trading at 2.4 times its book value. Now this is a kind of thing that people refer to when you, you know, if you ever listen to market commentary, you know, on business channel podcasts and people will often say this similar sentence saying that CBA trades at a premium relative to its peers. This is one of the reasons they're referring to of why it trades at a premium. It's trading at quite a significant uh, valuation relative to its book value, so 2.4 times. Now, it's important again to clarify and just stress this should not be taken in isolation as whether a company is overvalued 
or potentially undervalued and a good buying opportunity is merely just one indicator to be aware of. For example, Westpac share price currently trading around the $25.50 Australian per share uh, right before the huge market drop-off last year. It was pretty much trading around the exact same share price. Suncorp Bank currently trading around $12.30 per share. Uh, right before the market drop-off, it was trading around pretty much $12.80, you know, high 12s, close to $13 per share. NAB currently trading at about uh, 20, uh, just 26 and a half, you know, high 26s dollars per share, right before the drop-off trading around $27, you know, somewhere between at least $25 to $27 per share. So if you're gathering the trend I'm saying here is that the share price of these banks are pretty similar to where they were prior to the market sell-off the year prior. One of the noticeable differences in this, this isn't the only reason. I mean, CPA is, was trading at a, at a price-to-book ratio that was higher than its peers before the sell-off, so it's not it's not the sole reason. But one of the reasons why it's got such a much bigger price-to-book ratio, CBA currently trading around $102 per share at the moment. Uh, right before the drop-off, it was trading sort of high 80s, close to $90 per share. So it's actually you know a significant jump higher in share price than it was right before the market drop-off in March last year. Okay, so the, another good indicator to watch when banks are reporting their results to the market, and you would have seen this already and you'll see this during this reporting season, is what's referred to as the NIM or the net interest margin. The simple way to explain the NIM is the difference between what the bank's making on, say, its lending products, so say it's charging you whatever, 2.5%, 3%, whatever it is for your mortgage, the difference that it's making on the that interest versus the interest that it has to pay on, say, deposit products like a like a term deposit or a savings account. So as you can imagine, as interest rates you know, continue to fall across Australia over the last decade or so, uh, so did the net interest margin for the Australian banks because, yes, that meant that they started to lower the actual interest rate that they were paying on savings products like term deposits and savings accounts. It also meant that they began to lower the rates on home loans as the interest rates started to drop, sort of starting to squeeze their margin a little bit. And I'll give you an idea of what this has meant for some of the banks here. Okay, so this is NAB first, and we'll go back quite a long time ago. Let's So back in, say, 2014, the net interest margin for NAB was about 2.1%. Fast forward to now, also the latest results we at least have for now, uh, 1.7%. Westpac Bank next, uh, going back to 2014, uh, well, so 2013 actually, they were 2.1%. Then it came down to 2% in 2014, 2014. And then they've managed to actually keep their net interest margin at about 2% up until now. Okay, CBA next. Pretty similar to Westpac actually, around 2014, 2.1%. It dropped down to 2% in 2017, has been pretty much 2% ever since that point. I don't actually have the same history here for Suncorp uh, in terms of going back that many years, at least on the platform that I'm using, but I can give you it for the last year or so. So going back to the second half of 2020, the bank 
net interest margin for Suncorp 1.96%. It's actually increased since that point. It's actually gone up to their latest result, uh, which they just reported to 2.07%. So they noted that in the uh, actual recent earnings results that they announced to the market, I think on the 9th of August, so about a week or so ago. So again, you shouldn't be taking these metrics you know, purely on their own in isolation. But kind of what it does show you is the one, the bank there that's not done as well in terms of, well, of course, the, you expect the net interest margin to drop given the actual environment that we've been in of decreasing interest rates over the years. But the one there that's probably had, that's had the most significant drop in the net interest margin, if you remember, was NAB uh, going down to about 1.7%. Compare that to, say, Westpac uh, CBA, and I remember I don't have the full historical data there for Suncorp, but Westpac CPA have been, yes, it's dropped, but they've managed to hold it a little bit more steady over the last seven years. Okay, so that's two indicators there for you to, I guess, keep in your back pocket for the future when you're looking at these banks during reporting season. So that was price to book ratio and, of course, the net interest margin. So now when you see that on their releases to the market, you at least have a bit more of an understanding of what those mean. It's good because it goes a bit beyond when they just report, you know, their operating cash earnings and and things like revenue and stuff. It it gives you a bit more of an in-depth way to actually look at uh, the health of these businesses. And like I said, none of that was a recommendation for any of these stocks. I think that's definitely down to a personal decision, but it gives you a little bit more education on what to look for uh, when you're looking at the banks, especially. And it's not just for banks, like some of those metrics, like say the price to book ratio are really good for... um, companies with a lot of tangible assets. It's not good at all for companies, especially like tech companies that don't have a lot of tangible assets. It's kind of absolutely useless for those kind of companies, uh, but really good uh, for banks. But that is just about all for the podcast for episode 62. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you're all gotten used to the uh, fortnightly basis the podcast has gone to now. Hope that is okay for all of you out there certainly gives me a bit more breathing room in terms of getting uh, the right topics and some content out for you guys. Uh, But thank you for so much for continuing to tune in. If you do have questions for the show, as I always say, you can email that through to marketpulsepodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week. Enjoy your time. My name is Dion. This is the Market Pulse Podcast. Cheers. Cheers.